Coming up on a special edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings, the State Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles from Scott County is in the studio. He's a Republican candidate for governor. He's in third place today, but can he come up the middle and late in this campaign to steal the nomination? We ask him next on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And thanks for listening to the Flyover Country podcast. Scott Jennings here along with Kevin Grout, Jared Crawford, and in the studio for the fourth and final interview with a candidate for governor, the most learned guest (laughs) We have ever had on the Flyover Country <laughs> podcast, Doctor Commissioner Ryan Corals. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here, and uh, glad to be with a fellow farmer, Scott Jennings. I mean, <laughs> I've been following the growth of your chicken herd over the uh, years, and I just want to say you got a green thumb. I'm really impressed. Uh, well, it's my thumbs aren't usually green after dealing with the chickens. They're, they're, they're different colors, but thank you for your acknowledgement. I. Still have the uh, document you gave me designating me as a, an official farmer. Thank you for that. And uh, the chickens appreciate it. I hung it up in the coop. Um, so <laughs> I even I actually even uh, uh, um, subscribed to a magazine. There's literally a magazine called Chicken Magazine. Oh, you are hooked <laughs> oh, yeah. now. And I'm you on are it. Hooked. So anyway, uh, been a lot of fun to uh, share those uh, chickens with you over the years. We are so glad you're here because. Um, we've been having conversations with the Republican candidates for governor, and everybody at this table thinks it's really important we get a Republican governor of Kentucky, and I know you Amen. agree with that. Amen. And um, I just want to start this podcast by asking you, why should Ryan Quarles be the next governor of the Commonwealth? I'm running for governor because we need someone who can unite our state. It seems that the petty partisanship that we see out of the governor's office right now is holding us back. We have to remind folks that Andy Bashir was the shutdown governor. He shut down our businesses, shut down Main Street, Kentucky, kept the big box stores open. That wasn't fair. Kept our kids out of the classroom longer than necessary. Now our test scores have gone down. He violated our rights as Americans when he picked on Christians on Easter Sunday. And so my leadership style is one of consensus building. That's what I've done as commissioner of agriculture. And I'm just going to be quite blunt with you. Our state is small. Our problems are big. We cannot afford another four years of a governor that rules by a committee of one. We need someone who's going to work with the General Assembly, not sue the General Assembly. We need someone who's going to not overlook the needs of rural Kentucky. And I have a great example about how we missed out on a great job opportunity because he refused to work with others. But at the end of the day, I think that our potential could be met if we had, for once, a governor that works with the General Assembly, does not have a kick-the-can mentality that does not have a one- or two-year mentality about where we should take our state. We need an era of stability in Frankfurt as a former legislator, uh, now the uh, chief executive of the state's largest executive branch agency, only second to the governor's office itself. I've got a conservative record of cutting the budget, doing more with less, and I believe that as I travel Kentucky in this home stretch of the campaign, that we have the best chance of beating Andy Bashir. I have electability on my side. I've run statewide twice before, winning by 20 points each time. The last time I was on the ballot, I got more votes than Andy Bashir did. And I won 117 of 120 counties. And so to your listeners out there, 
we need to make sure that we nominate the Republican who has the best chance of beating Andy Bashir in the fall. You are um, the most experienced person in the race who has a chance to win. And, um, you know, Kraft has never served in, in state government. Daniel's in his first term as, as attorney general. Two-term ag commissioner. How many terms in the House? Five years, two and a half terms. Two and a half terms in the in the state house. Um, you, you know, Frankfurt inside now, you know how state government works. Do you find that experience in this race, Just I'm speaking just as the campaign, has this been a help to you, or do you find the voters in a revolutionary mood and, and uh, <laughs> they're less interested in folks with, with government experience? I think this is one of the few primaries where you can actually say experience matters because we need someone who can go toe-to-toe with Bashir, on stage, understand the intricacies of state government, understanding how to point out missed opportunities as well. You know, when I first ran for the state house back in 2012, 2010, that is, a winning message then was, if you're not happy with where Kentucky's going, then why keep sending the same people back? And so it was an anti-incumbent message. But right now, I think what we're seeing as a party is that we need to nominate somebody that can go the entire distance, the full pull, so to say, against Andy Bashir, And so what I'm hearing out there is that if I'm not somebody's first choice, there's an organic discussion among Republicans saying, who has the best shot? Who has the best shot? And I think that people are gravitating towards my campaign through process of elimination as well. And they, they recognize the experience. They recognize the electability. And they also know that I, I'm a hard worker. We're putting 70 hours plus a week in on this campaign, plus my full-time job as Ag Commissioner, we're visiting 20, uh, about 20 counties a week right now. Yesterday, six counties in eastern Kentucky, wow. half of which I'm the first candidate running for governor to ever step foot in that county as a candidate. And that's you, how we're going to win. Um, you um, had your finance report come out this week. Everybody did. I was quite impressed with your bounce back. You didn't have Thank a great you. report last time. You bounced back this time. And I was looking well, at Well, I was the- too busy helping other Republicans get elected. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I, I know. I'm, I'm not laughing. You're a team I, player. I have been the guy who has supported the home team for a long time. And so last fall, I chose to help other Republicans get elected. And now we have more Republicans than ever serving the General Assembly. And that's why we have 25-plus members of the General Assembly endorsing us, including over one-fourth of our judge executives, over 100 magistrates. And so, Scott, I chose to use my time helping other Republicans out last that final quarter. And I've been very pleased with what we just posted this week. We have the most cash on hand of any Republican running right now. We're proud of that, and we're going to deploy it judiciously these last three and a half weeks or so. Well, that's where I was headed. You you posted a number, uh, and, and it was impressive to me. I was looking at, actually, the, the candidates um, outside of Kelly's personal contribution. You all weren't all that different, really. You right. and Daniel, they were pretty close, um, and you do have a high cash on hand number. We haven't seen advertising out of you yet. Tell us about the Quarles campaign strategy here to get the word out, other than just uh, your legendary driving around the state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big red truck tour, yeah. yeah. Maybe the most famous truck in politics right now in the state. But our media plan is imminent. We're going to run a positive race. And we're also going to introduce folks that may not have heard of me before about who I am. And one of the central themes going into this final stretch is that uh, elect someone that thinks like you because they're raised like you. I grew up with grit. I grew up working. I grew up uh, working at age six in the back of pass for $1 an hour. There are untold number of Kentuckians who can relate to that upbringing, 
relate to the working class mentality that I'm the uh, jeans and boots candidate in this race. And so for me, our imagery is going to reflect who I am as a candidate, that uh, I'm just as likely to have dirt on my boots and grease on my elbows as I am to have a suit on uh, trying to pitch a businesses. And so our theme in this race is going to be central around the working class of Kentucky. Kevin Grout. So you're, you just said you're the jeans and boots candidate. You're the uh, grassroots candidate. You're also the ideas candidate. I think you uh, have... Thank do, you. Do, You've read my press release. Uh, I have, yeah. <laughs> uh, do, good, do, job, good job, Jake. Yeah, good job. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like you're driving the conversation on some of these big issues, and uh, what issue are Kentuckians most interested in hearing about? Well, right now it's out of control inflation, and you know the governor talks about how the economy's on fire. And you know what? I agree with him. It's on fire because people can't afford to put gas in their vehicles. Uh, $5 diesel fuel is unsustainable. People can't afford groceries right now. And so I think the number one issue right now is connecting with Kentuckians about the economy on a micro level. There are plenty of other issues that are going to be wedge issues and ones that are going to drive Republicans. There's going to be some issues that drive Democrats as well. But when I'm traveling, it's about being making sure that we articulate we are the conservative candidate, pro-life, endorsed by Kentucky Right to Life, pro-gun, uh, a endorsement uh, expected out of the of the NRA as well. Uh, Christian, that we believe that boys shouldn't be playing in girls' sports, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of the candidates, a lot of us are on the very similar, if not the same page, on these issues. And so for me, it's about distinguishing myself with experience, executive experience, the endorsements, the grassroots, and bold ideas, which people can check out at ryancorals.com. And it's very quickly. We have a plan for Eastern Kentucky. That, that is focused on making it a nationally recognized tourist destination in the United States. We have a plan to reform our broken adoption and foster care system, which, by the way, has been elevated to a top-tier issue, particularly when I'm, when I'm campaigning, because the response is so great. We're also talking about a plan for city, the city of Louisville focuses on law and order, crime prevention, homelessness, economic development. And so I'm proud to put ideas out there, let people chew on it. If, if they don't like it, they're not uh, hesitant to tell me about it. <laughs> but, uh, but I want to win this race based off who has the best ideas. Let me ask you a question. You, you brought this up, Jared. We'll, we'll come to you mm -hmm. next. I, you said most of the candidates all have the same positions on the issues. I think that's largely correct. Is there an issue, though, in this campaign that's come up where you feel like you are in a unique place on it or you've got sort of an angle on it that nobody else does that sets you apart from the other campaigns? I think after debate responses, the, what I'm hearing organically from people is that we have a great grasp of the issues, understanding beyond the surface level of how it would work in Frankfurt, which goes back to some of our earlier comments in this podcast about having the experience. Like, what is possible state government? Uh, for example, uh, when we talk about making the business class easier to work, uh, businesses, ease of business in Kentucky, we can get down and drill down and talk about red tape reduction, the RAINS Act in Kentucky that was passed by Representative Phil Pratt. And so I feel like I know the ins and outs of the issues uh, with a competency that I think I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Andy Bashir on. Jared, let's go back to the big red truck. This this is this has gotten a lot of attention. Beep, beep, I think you have to say after. Well, that. I, I want to ask you kind of quite frankly. I think this is a little bit more of a traditional campaign. You're going, you're literally going kind of door to door. Yeah, old you're fashioned. Putting, you're putting miles on the truck. You're putting you know uh, wear on the boots and all those sorts of things. Uh, to be quite frank, the media has sort of like made fun of you because you've dared to do a traditional, yeah. you know, campaign message. 
I wonder for you, uh, you know, Daniel starts out with a little bit of a celebrity status. Uh, Kelly has spent a, a tremendous amount of money and you thought, let's just kind of do this. Let's put the boots on the ground. Let's put miles on the truck. And, you know, media members in Louisville have thought, <laughs> yeah, what a ridiculous, you know, this guy is so ridiculous in us. It's like, no, he's getting out and he's seeing the people. I wonder the response you, you've sort of felt being that kind of more traditional yeah. I'm truly putting the miles on the truck. I'm not just running ads. I'm not just relying on name ID. Uh, just I want to kind of get your, your thoughts and, and your response to some of that. I think it, it defines my own conservative brand. I'm my own person in this mm-hmm. race. Uh, I'm not lumped into other political categories that some people may associate themselves in Republican politics in Kentucky. I'm, I'm Ryan. I'm the Ryan they know the past eight years. I show up. I work hard. Uh, I will come to your county. Uh, we have visited all 120 counties at this point since being since becoming a candidate, and we visit all 120 counties multiple times as ag commissioner. And so, yeah, people may make fun of my truck, but you know, we got a flat tire one night. We fixed it. It was posted. It went viral. <laughs> and next thing you know, uh, it goes back to the working class mentality that I'm the mm-hmm. candidate in the race that knows how to uh, roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. So we've embraced it. I think that. Uh, uh, the Career Journal and the Herald Leader has actually helped our fundraising out by making, <laughs> making fun of my truck, uh, which, by the way, the air conditioning is out on right now. So, it's, uh, yeah, a little toasty in yeah. there. But for me, in a low turnout primary, where we expect there to be about 20% turnout, 300,000, no more than 325,000 people voting, that if my grassroots strength shows up, the ones that we identify with, um, we, win, we will win this thing. And so, look, there's only so many Cracker Barrels and Waffle Houses and Dollar General stores that you can visit as a candidate. But I think that our strategy of old school, people's first grassroots campaigning is going to pay off in a low turnout election. Let me ask you about an issue that, uh, for a number of reasons, at the top of a lot of Republican minds, and that is uh, what's going on in our schools. Um, Kraft's running an ad about the woke bureaucrats parachuting in. You hear it if you turn on Fox News, everybody's talking about it. Uh, Andy Bashir's de facto running mate, Jason Glass, is trying to enforce <laughs> pronoun policies and fire the teachers who won't go along with it. This is a real issue. Yes. A uh, couple questions for you on education. A, are you a school choice guy? And B, uh, under Governor Quarles, what would you do about uh, the people who are concerned about what's being taught and what's going on in our schools? We'll start with the second question. So here, here are a few ideas on education. Number one, parents should have a say-so about what their kids are exposed to in the classroom. That, that, that is a fundamental, I think, right as a parent, and that in an ideal situation, the parents, the school boards, uh, the teachers are working harmoniously in that. They're not being called domestic uh, terrorists by the Biden Justice Department. And so that's number one. Number two is that we need to empower teachers. We have wonderful teachers in the classroom. My mom spent 30 years in public education, teaching people how to become nurses. The number one thing I hear from our, our teachers is that they want to try to teach, and unfortunately, they're having to raise other people's kids as well that may not have a family structure at home or discipline. You know, if I ever acted up in school, I knew that the punishment at home was a lot worse than what was going to happen in the classroom. So I support discipline reform in the classroom. There's some other things we talk about on education, but to answer your question, I think it's so important, so important that we get a good ROI on what we invest in our education. Educate, K-12 and higher ed represent about 47% of our state's $14 billion budget, showing some depth of knowledge here, Scott, about how state government works. And so I think a lot of people want to say, 
are kids graduating knowing how to read? Do they know how to balance a checkbook? Do they know uh, the basics about math? Are they career ready? And those are the things I want to focus on, including uh, our vocational and trade programs, starting a career pathway in middle school, welders, HVAC, plumbing, electricians. All these folks, uh, I know folks that are 20 years old with a starting salary of $100,000 a year knowing how to weld. We need to have a return to dignity of work uh, in Kentucky, meaning somewhere along the line when I was a kid, we were told if you want to be successful, be a doctor or a lawyer, doctor or a lawyer. And that's a misguided message that the Kentucky that I know, the one I grew up working on a farm, is that we need to respect those who come home from a hard day's work with dirt on their boots just as much as those with white-collar jobs. So to get back to your, to your question, um, secondly, I think it's important that we do uh, support school choice because in areas of Kentucky, like Louisville, it's being begged for by Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. And there's been legislation advanced. And look, I, I know it's a contentious issue in some areas. I grew up in rural Kentucky. The public school system is phenomenal. I, I, I was a product of that. I'm happy with it. But I also know that, that this is a subject that's going to be prime time in the 2024 legislative session. The leadership's already told us about that. And so I don't think it's right. Uh, it's a disingenuous argument to say you got to be uh, pro-choice or pro-public education. You can be both. You can be both. And the city of Louisville is a great example of how the parents and students are begging for other options here. And so I'm open to that. When you're out talking to folks, does education come up a lot, a little, more than you thought, less than you thought? It comes up more than I thought it would, and it's primarily being driven by the elevation of boys playing in girls' sports, which I'm against. Yeah. And that and to be clear, Andy Bashir is for. He is right. for. He's on the record. Yeah. And I think that that issue has helped, I guess, um, brought education up as a tier one uh, uh, issue in this race. And well, it's going to be I, this fall. I think it makes people say, well, if they're doing that, what else are they doing right. here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if they're yeah. willing to go along with this, who in the world – Knows what else is happening, and so I'm I'm with you on that. I it strikes me that that getting through Bashir in the fall, which by the way I think is no no easy task here. I think your comments about electability have to be vital to the average voter because you know I mean nominating someone, you know what's the point of it if we don't have a plan to to defeat right. the incumbent? Uh, right. It's not going to be easy, but I think the path through here is he, he is more liberal than. Joe Biden and a lot of national Democrats on some of these issues. Do you get the feeling our Republicans know that? I think they know it. They just need to make sure that they got a candidate that can go all the way. And I have a I have a doctorate in education. I'm happy to talk about this ad nauseum. And so I think you're exactly right. We got to remind people about who he is. Because here's the fact. If Andy Bashir gets another four years, he's not accountable through another reelection in Kentucky. And I believe that his eyes will be focused on Washington DC rather than Kentucky. And and we all know through his 90-plus vetoes at this point that uh, he is unwilling to work with Republicans. He's unwilling to work with people in his own party. And don't, and let's not forget, a lot of the veto overrides included Democrat votes mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. And so when I travel to state, especially in rural areas, these will be issues that will be defining uh, and contrasting between the Republican nominee and Andy Bashir in the fall. Personally, I think that he has his eyes on Washington, D.C., and there's a rumor in Lexington that he's eyeing running for president in 2028. <laughs> All right. We'll keep an eye on that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you're by the way, you're listening to Ryan Corals here on the Flower Country Podcast, the state ag commissioner and one of the leading candidates for governor on the Republican side. Let me ask you about I'm gonna throw out a couple of counties. Madison, Warren, Davis. These are counties uh Republicans didn't do as well in at the top of the ticket in twenty nineteen that they're gonna have to do better in to win. I did well there. You did well. <laughs> but Matt Bevin did not. And this is where the race was lost. What's Ryan Quarles got going on in those counties that gives Republicans a chance to bounce back in those sort of suburban areas? Well, I think it's more than just those handful of counties. I think that there was an underperformance from the top of the ticket statewide, uh, primarily because if you're not married to a teacher, you have one in the family. And that's where my strength is, is that I can run the score up in rural Kentucky the way that, that the others in this race can't, being the ag guy. And look, uh, I lost the city, uh, city of Louisville, Jefferson County, by 50,000 votes in 2019. Uh, Governor Bevin lost by 100,000 votes. And, and how many rural Kentucky counties do you have to win 80, 20, 70, 30 to make up 100,000 votes? That's going to be tough. For me, the strategy is to run the score up in rural Kentucky, because after May 16th, it's not going to be a Republican versus Democrat race. It's going to mirror what we saw down in Georgia at the U.S. Senate race. It's going to be rural versus urban, and that's not healthy for society, but that's how people are voting. And then when it comes to the, the counties you referenced, um, that those, those do have some urban areas in there. And so I think it's important that we have someone that's going to unite these areas of the state. Uh, another thing to think about is look at Meade County. Look at Owsley County. Look at counties that voted straight ticket, and the people who won in 2022 won because the county it wasn't the, it wasn't necessarily the candidates. It was that the county voted straight ticket. I was in Owsley County yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, new Republican judge, Meade County, new Republican judge, and it's because rural Kentucky is starting to vote at higher rates, uh, straight Republican. And let's not forget where you're from, Scott, down in Western Kentucky. Yeah, used to be the Democratic. Rocket Gibraltar. You got it. And now this will be the first gubernatorial primary where Western Kentucky is going to be playing a very large role. And that's one reason why we're spending a lot of time down there as well. Yeah, it, it strikes me that your style of campaigning, sort of this uh, courthouse to courthouse, county to county, because of the fragmentation of the media markets down there, it's inefficient to advertise. And uh, and so what you're doing, it strikes me, is, is yeah. smart. Uh, Kevin and Jared? Uh, I'm going to show my bias here. Let's bring it back to Louisville. I want to talk about uh, <laughs> All right, let's do it. one of your— we have, we have urban versus rural on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pummel Jared when this yeah, is over. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll play the— Throw the a chicken egg at him. Bad guy here. Um, and I want to kind of uh, stick on education a little bit here, too, when we, we talk about Louisville. I've always had this sense that it, it almost doesn't matter how good our schools or our colleges here. The single biggest sort of uh, thing holding back Louisville is its, its crime rate right now. Yes. That, that kids who may come here for college, kids who may graduate from U of L, are unfortunately leaving because the city has gotten a bad reputation in terms of uh, public safety. Uh, two questions. One, Daniel Cameron was on the show earlier this week and advocated putting a uh, state police post here in Louisville. I want to get your thoughts on that. And then second, just a plan to you know, work to get Louisville back to the sort of homicide rate that it, it really should be or was for, for many years uh, and uh, how we can, again, you know, get people, recruit people here, talented people, workers, you know, right. welders and teachers to come to Louisville uh, to, you know, keep this economic engine going. 
Sure. Well, first off, a safe and secure Louisville means a safe and secure Kentucky. Uh, you're exactly right. The number one issue that I hear from uh, my friends in Louisville is law and order and public safety. And they need to cut down on the violent crime that's occurring. There are 14 murders in the past week in the city of Louisville, uh, over 160 homicides last year. Uh, it's so important that we have a city where people feel safe. I I run help run the Kentucky State Fair. There, there are rural families that I know that are willing to come to Louisville during the day, but they're not willing to stay the night. And that's a serious problem, mm-hmm. and it's a perception issue, and it holds back our economic development. And so the Louisville plan uh, focuses on three things. Number one, law and order uh, by working with the, the, the various uh, – uh, Jefferson County Police Forces and our Kentucky State Police to provide pres- uh, assistance. I think that Andy Bashir, uh, people could argue, was somewhat absent uh, three years ago uh, when when uh, cars were being flipped over and family-owned businesses were being burnt and there was violence in the streets. Uh, as governor, I think that there's a big difference between expressing your First Amendment right versus flipping cars over, and we're not going to tolerate that. So number one, is work with uh, city leadership in ways that the current governor is not. Number two, homelessness in Louisville. It's a big deal. You know, we're about to host the Kentucky Derby, and the city help cleans itself up. It sh- this should be a more than a once-in-a-year uh, endeavor. Uh, I'm not criticizing anyone here, but what I do understand Why is Why not? I mean, because, I mean, because I agree with you, and yeah. and you know, we're we're all we all live around Louisville. Our offices in Louisville. We're, we're recording this in Louisville, and it strikes me one of the problems is you know you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you get the same right. results. It's kind of crazy. Well, the the reason I say I'm not criticizing anyone is because I'm still learning about the issue. You know, I'm the academic person, in this race, <laughs> right, Scott. So I don't want to come to a, a premature yeah. uh, conclusion here. But what I understand is that a lot of these homeless camps are underneath state-owned roads, and so. Uh, when the mayor of Louisville or whoever's in charge uh, wants to attempt to address this, they have to have state cooperation, and that's what I, what I want to do. The other thing is that there are homeless shelters in Louisville that are not uh, not at occupational, um, um, uh, they're not at full vacant, they're they're vacant right now. Excuse me. And so let's get these people the, the treatment that they need. Focus on mental health, which is another thing we're, we want to talk about in this episode, if you don't mind. Uh, and then the third leg, the third leg for the city of Louisville is economic development. You know, Louisville sends a lot of taxpayer money to Frankfurt, and we're not sure if a lot of it's getting back. And so for me, I think that we need to have an economic development plan where a CEO oftentimes comes to the city of Louisville first before going out and looking at other places. We need to make sure that we have a one Kentucky approach, and that includes economic development right here. When it comes to the state police, you know, I, I think that that's a, it's a good signal that the governor has their back. Um, and Scott, I think you're exactly right. When was the last time the Republicans were uh, in control of Louisville politics? Yeah, we want. I mean, thirty you, years. Yeah, before before yeah. us, before, uh, <laughs> before us. Yeah. And so, and so, we need to stop and say, look, if you keep doing the same thing over again, how do you expect different different results? And this city has gone through a very tragic incident, multiple incidents, but but it's so important that we stop politicizing gun violence and violent crime and focus on results. And that's one reason why we've actually put a plan out there and we're happy to be the ideas candidate in the race. Hey, gotcha. You mentioned you wanted to talk about mental health. Yes. Uh, I, actually, I actually sort of think we're society is at a mental health crisis generally. Yes. I think we have 
mental health issues across the board in Kentucky. It manifests itself in violent actions. It manifests itself in people not being able to work. I mean, it manifests itself in kids and college kids not being able to function in the classroom. Uh, what's the role of the governor in addressing this? I mean, this is a larger societal issue, but what can a governor do? Well, we can do what I did as Ag Commissioner and actually start a program. Uh, two years ago, due to what we know was a really sad undercurrent in rural Kentucky is that the suicide rate among farmers is, is a lot higher than people think. It's almost as high as, as, as veterans. It's very sad. It's, a high, it's already a, high, a highly hazardous occupation. And so we decided to do something about it. We started a program called Raising Hope, RaisingHope.com. If you just, just uh, Raising Hope KY, look at it. It focuses on what we can do to raise, number one, the awareness that mental health is an issue. The COVID lockdowns peeled back a layer of the onion that we all probably understood, but we didn't understand how pervasive it was. We have a mental health crisis in America. It's a crisis. Whether it's teenagers uh, who have body body images issues on social media, uh, whether it's uh, you know outcomes, severe things people may go through in life, we actually did something. Twenty twenty one started a mental health awareness campaign. Number two, we've started programs by partnering with U of L. Uh, College of Nursing, UK College of Nursing, Western College of Nursing, as well as other collaborators around the state. Number three, uh, we've promoted help hotlines and also counseling as well. And so as governor, I think that we need an all-of-the-above approach, whether it's in our school systems, whether it's uh, at the workplace where workplace violence may occur, or other factors that we know where we can simply check in on each other. Um and again, raising hope. That's a great first step that we started at the Department of Ag through a grant through USDA as well as some General Assembly funding. We can replicate that statewide. And so we have a track record. I think we're just starting it. And the last thing we need to focus on, we need to, to remove the stigma that is unnecessarily and unfairly associated with those seeking mental health. We need to accept them. Uh Aside, but related, where are you on the marijuana issue in this state? Because I think these things are related. I'm, you know, some of these states are going through the idea of recreational legalization. You start to, you're hearing a lot of stories now about uh, kids who get hooked on cannabis and um, develop pretty serious uh, schizophrenia and other other mental health disorders in their lives. Really, spot on their parents yes. are desperate to stop them. I. I, I am sort of chagrined at the permissive drug culture that is encroaching upon all of us in society. I don't like it. I don't like it that they passed medical marijuana, to be candid with you, uh, even though a lot of Republicans voted for it. Where are you on this issue, and do you think these things are related? I'm against uh, the legalization of recreational marijuana. Uh, for me, I think it's important that we recognize gateway drugs that can lead to other behavior, et cetera. And you're exactly right. I have a 20-year-old uh, campaign volunteer who goes to L, who hears gunshots on campus or near campus almost every week that goes back to your earlier issue about uh, safety in Louisville. Just last night he was talking to me about this exact issue is that, is that uh, I think there's more mental health needs because people may have been exposed to drug culture earlier in life. Um, you know, for me, I think it's important that we support our law enforcement um, when it comes to the kids having drugs in schools, there should be consequences for that. Right now, you can you can walk into a gas station in Kentucky right now, buy products. These kids are, are buying them, bring them to the classroom. There's ODs. In Casey County, Kentucky, there were two ODs by middle schoolers the first week of January 
of 2023 and they came back because it's stuff they could buy at a gas station. Mm-hmm. That is wrong. And so for me, I'm against the legalization of, of marijuana. Kevin. So I want to go back to when you were talking about keeping more of Louisville's tax dollars in Louisville. Does that Are you in favor of a local option sales tax? I've not come out with a position on that yet. And that's one thing you're going to find with me as a candidate. I'm just going to tell you the truth where yeah. I'm at instead of sugarcoating. Um, and so that's something that, that I know that uh, Representative Michael Meredith has worked on. But, uh, but for me, I'm a, I'm a less government, low taxes conservative. So then my next question, totally different. I want to talk about your day job. because but, we're but Actually, before you move on, this is important. <laughs> as governor... What would be your taxation policy? I mean, where you, you want to see it go down to zero or all the way? Yes. And again, check out our bold ideas plan at ryanquarles.com. We have a tax policy focuses on three things. Number one is to continue the step-down approach to eliminate the Kentucky income tax to zero. I think the legislature is doing it wisely. They're doing it a half percent of the time. It's touch and go. Let's lower it, see where we're at. Let's not shock the system like the state of Kansas did many years ago. And so let's not forget the tax policies and the revenue that has been increased in Kentucky is done underneath Republican General Assembly leadership. That's not, you know, the governor's taking credit for this. This is, last I checked, when I watched Schoolhouse Rock, there's three different co equal branches of government here. The legislature did this. Number two is that we need to eliminate the estate tax, otherwise known as the death tax in Kentucky. There are 17 states that still have it on the books. Uh, it's not just about farming. It's about family-owned businesses. Think about hardware stores on Main Street, Kentucky. And uh, we need to make it easier for businesses to stay open. The third one is that we need to return. I'll be a governor this December that when I propose a budget to the General Assembly that returns every single dollar of coal severance tax back to the counties from which it originates. Uh, they deserve this funding. They need it. And so for me, we want to have a tax policy that is pro-growth, that encourages businesses to come here, and finally, something that no one else has talked about right now, a tax policy that encourages people to stay here and retire here. One thing I've learned is that we have a lot of veterans in Kentucky, Fort Knox, Fort Campbell, and other states have better benefit plans, particularly for, for those who served, their, uh, served us in uniform. We need to make Kentucky the state they choose to retire to as well. Kevin, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to, I wanted to make sure we got the tax that, that was, uh, policy. Yeah, that, yeah. that was really good. Yeah, so talking about your day job as Ag Commissioner, um, I mean, you, you've, you're one of the leading voices for Ag nationwide. You led the, the National um, State Department of Agriculture. Yep. Um, can you give us an overview? What is the status of Kentucky agriculture today, and how can you as the next governor work with the next Ag Commissioner to promote farmers? The state of Kentucky agriculture is strong. <laughs> you know, I don't get a State of the Union address, but sometimes I get to talk in front of ag groups. But uh, it has grown by $3 billion since I've been in office. Uh, we have people returning to the farm that during COVID, they came back to rural Kentucky and they started farming again. I think it's cool. Uh, number three is we're more diverse than ever before in terms of who's farming with the highest number of women farming in America by percentage. 35% of all farmers in Kentucky are, are female. Really? We have robust programs for minorities in ag, et cetera. And so for me, it's an exciting time. And in, unlike our friends out in the Midwest, those flat states that start with I, uh, <laughs> agriculture in Kentucky is really diverse. We're growing. We have the, the biggest chia farm in North America, in Kentucky. Uh, Those we, are little chia pets, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was good. Got, got uh, the Scooby Doo and the yeah. Yoda next to him. We'd like to, we'd like to actually pause the show and congratulate Kevin on his first joke on the podcast. Oh yeah, congratulations! And, uh, uh, well Save done it for you. <laughs> One last thought on ag is that 
I've enjoyed my now going into eight years as commissioner. It's been an honor a lifetime for someone that grew up on a tobacco farm as a kid. I don't come from a political family. My dad was not governor of Kentucky. Like I'm, I'm proud of having the opportunity to, to serve. I mean, and it just reflects what it means to be an American, that if you work hard enough, apply yourself, uh, have goals, that, that you can accomplish things that in other countries may not be uh, available. So I'm really proud of what we're doing, really proud. And there's a couple other ideas, sustainable aviation fuel, where we can literally make aviation fuel out of soybeans. Another state is aggressively going after this. UPS wants it, DHL, Amazon, the, the, the car- commercial carriers want this. Why not let Kentucky be the leader on that? Um, number two, we're great at diversification. We're doing things in our state that are really cool. And from bourbon to racehorses, it's been an honor a lifetime to represent old Colonel Sanders around, around the world. <laughs> um, you um, have a lot of ideas. You've got a big agenda. You've, got, you've laid all this out. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting, though, um, a question of governance. Is it the governor's job to lay out specific bold policy ideas and lead the legislature towards them? Or is it the governor's job to let the legislature, I mean, you've been in both executive and, right. and legislative and, and Bashir's in a unique position because he's essentially powerless, you know, as it relates to the Republicans uh, and the majorities they hold. But if you were governor, you'd have big Republican majorities in both chambers and right. you're a Republican. Would you see yourself in that matrix as the ideas generator? Is that what you're hoping to be as governor? I think it's a two-way street. I think, number one, some of the best ideas as a legislator uh, that I got to work on or pass came from constituents via their, the General Assembly and their respective state rep or state, state senator. I also think the governor has the power to focus on issues and get the job done. Look, you can't be everything to everyone, and that's why I think we can sit down with legislative leaders – not in January when the session starts, but maybe October, and say, what are the top five things we want to accomplish? Maybe there's some things that the Senate or House are focused on that I'm not aware of. But for me, whether it's uh, adoption and foster care reform in Kentucky, uh, whether it's a bold plan for Eastern Kentucky focused on tourism, I think it's a two-way street because I want to be a governor that works at the General Assembly and not sue the General Assembly left and right. You uh, run – is the Ag Department the biggest constitutional agency outside of the governor's office? That's correct. Something that doesn't get talked about in this race ever that I can remember in my lifetime is, can this person actually manage anything? Can this, can this candidate for governor actually manage <laughs> something? You're managing a big agency. Is that a big issue to you? Do you do you believe this is a differentiator because you've managed a large state agency? Do you think voters care about that? Do you think it would make you a better governor on day one? I think it would. I'm just not sure how many people are going to base their vote off of, oh, he ran – executive agency that was large in scope. But what I can tell people that I think picks up some points is that we've reduced the size of government. Uh, we've done more with less. And just just last night, just yesterday, in a rural eastern Kentucky county, a mayor said, Ryan, if you do to the rest of state government what you've done at the Department of Agriculture, we're going to be in good shape. And I think government should be a customer service-oriented uh, approach, that we work for you, not the other way around. And that's one of our bold ideas is that state government should work for you, that if you call or send an email, you should get a response that day. You may not get the answer you want, but you're gonna, it's going to be responsive. We want to reduce red tape, consi- regularly go through regulations, uh, evaluate their merit, especially if federal legislation or state legislation contradicts it, et cetera. 
but also make sure that we are responsive. And so I don't know if voters will base their vote off that, but I do have a record that I'm proud of. Um, I want to talk to you about um, higher education because you have these degrees. You've got uh, a lot of degrees, and you know more <laughs> about college and the purpose of college and universities than just about anybody I know. I have wondered for some time if it's if it's past time for Kentucky to reimagine our higher education system. We have great colleges and universities we here. Do. We've got great professors. They're doing amazing things at Louisville, at Kentucky, at Western and Murray. But I get the feeling we may have gone past time of thinking through what each of these individual universities should be focused on and is it best serving the state. Have you given any thought to that? Is that something for the next governor to work on? I think so. And and look, K-12 comes first. That's, that's the entry point for all Kentuckians. But higher education really has not gotten the attention that it deserves. The last time higher education had meaningful reform was through House Bill 1 in 1997. If you might recall, it decoupled the Community and Technical College from UK. It also set up uh, defined regional and comprehensive universities like EKU and Western, Moorhead, et cetera. And it recognizes our two R1s, University of uh, Louisville and UK, as well, uh, that are research-oriented. A lot has changed since then. Do you know, let me ask you this question. Do you know what the third biggest university in Kentucky is? Which one is it? Northern. Nope. I don't know. I, don't I, would, know. I would have said Western. But yeah, I would have said Western, yeah. A private university, University of the Cumberlands. Oh. Bigger yeah. than Western, bigger than EKU. And so we need to have focus on our privates as well, the private, the 20-plus private institutions that we have. And so... I think it's time to have that conversation because guess what? Affordability of higher education has been an issue. It's it's has increased well beyond <laughs> inflation, especially Biden inflation. <laughs> and and it's a serious issue when a young student who may not know what they want to study steps foot on a college campus uh, and they graduate with, with a degree that may not be marketable. They also may be saddled with uh, a lot of student loan debt as well. You know, I was fortunate. Uh, I, I was very focused. I knew what I wanted to study. But we need to make sure that our educational apparatus aligns with what employers want. And that's why, to go back to this vocational and trade talk, I think it's a bright opportunity for our KCTCS or community college systems to uh, really uh, align with the workforce needs of Kentucky. But I think we need to talk about affordability. We also need to talk about uh, access as well. And then also maybe have that difficult discussion of, of, of how many uh, schools that focus on one issue do we need in Kentucky. Duplication gets expensive yeah. at some point. So I want to lead that discussion. It may not be the top dis- the issue on people's minds, but but you know that's still another 10-plus percent of our total budget is in higher education. So you said 47% of the state budget is on? K-12 and higher ed. K-12 and higher ed. So really, though you could make an argument the governor ought to be spending half his time on yeah. You know, education. Well, state. We're, or the education state. And let's not forget the Republicans are funding education at, at historically high levels. So let's make sure we remind people of that. That's the voice of Ryan Quarles, the Agriculture Commissioner of Kentucky, two term and one of the leading Republican candidates for governor. You're on the Flower Country podcast with our panel. Kevin Grout is here and also Jared. Go ahead. So we've asked uh, every candidate this this question in, in sort of, you know, a, a similar way. Andy Bashir generally speaking, sort of thinks the state's in a good place. The unemployment rate is low. He's got all these sort of promised jobs. I wonder for you, what what do you see as kind of the state of Kentucky, and what are some of those issues? Is it the workforce participation rate, the percentage of college graduates, like we were just talking about, the crime rate in Louisville? 
What do you see as some of those big issues that he's ignoring that really are putting the future of the state in jeopardy? Workforce participation. We have a crisis in our state. Only 56% of able-bodied, healthy Kentuckians age 18 to 65 are working right now. Most economists will tell you a healthy number should be upper 60s, if not 70%. Uh, And so we need to look at this in a very serious manner. Because, number one, we need to stop paying, stop paying people to sit at home and watch Netflix all day. Okay, we all agree on that. And we need to have benefits reform. And General Assembly's taking a couple cracks at that. But we need to take it to the next level. Number two is that we need to have workforce programs that help people that may uh, need to transition from one uh, career to another. And I think that's a great way for both a, for a private partner, a partner a policy where our employers team up with grant money to help people transition. But number three, there may be some cultural aspects that we need to address. That When I grew up on our farm, the thought of not working never crossed my mind. And if it did, there was a belt or tobacco ship <laughs> in my near future. And so I'm, I just come from a family of workers, and, and, and there's pride in that. And I think that on day one, we want to appoint a workforce participation uh, task force that works with the Kentucky Chamber, works with our employers as well, and try to figure out what are some long-term strategies to get more Kentuckians to, to go to work right now, because there's plenty of jobs. And in fact, we're suffering the great resignation right now where people are leaving their current job to go across the street for higher pay, et cetera. And so we need to make sure that we have a plan in place that's more than just benefits reform in Kentucky. But that's an issue that he's ignored. And, you know, he's a governor that will not hesitate to take credit for things, but he also uh, is is passing on issues that we know are an undercurrent in Kentucky that need to be addressed. What uh, would your policies be on abortion if you become governor? I mean, we've got a court case pending, obviously, right now, and uh, we had a referendum last time around. This is being sorted out in the post-Dobbs era. What's the Quarles' view on what kind of abortion laws we need in Kentucky? Well, I think it's already being led by the Kentucky General Assembly. As you said, the trigger law is being uh, evaluated right now by the Kentucky Supreme Court. And so for me, I think that we, whoever the next governor is, we're going to have to probably respond to a Supreme Court ruling. Mm-hmm. I'm pro-life. I, I'm endorsed by Kentucky Right to Life, endorsed by Northern Kentucky Right to Life. But the policy it needs to go a step further than what's your stance on abortion. Let's say, well, what's your stance on supporting uh, um, pregnancy crisis centers in Kentucky? What's your policy on, on helping uh, people during very difficult times in their life, including, again, adoption and foster care reform in Kentucky? 8,000 kids looking for a home. That if we're going to be a pro-life state, it needs to go beyond what's your view on abortion, but also what's your view on valuing life. And that means giving people resources or providing some sort of structure, whether in Georgetown it's the Not Alone Pre- uh, Pregnancy Center, whether it's saying let's make it easier to adopt a kid in Kentucky. There's a lot of couples, unfortunately, cannot have kids. And, and why should it take $10,000 in two years to go through this labyrinth of a process? That's my policy. Does that translate then into paid family leave, more workplace flexibility, encouraging those those ideas? I think after the COVID lockdowns, uh, a lot of things in the workplace are going to change, including stances on telecommuting, uh, which I think is good for rural parts of the state. Uh, that's bringing people back home that maybe have some high salaries and building houses in areas that may not uh, get that. And so for me, uh, I think it's important that we evaluate all this. But at the end of the day, end of the day, 
this there needs to be a conversation with the employers of Kentucky as well. Let's talk about the campaign. Uh, it's getting a little chippy. <laughs> Not with you. You've been studiously positive. You've uh, you smile a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and you haven't mixed it up really with your opponents. Uh, Cameron and Kraft are mixing it up uh, a little bit on the air and uh, in some of their commentary. Are we going to hear? contrasting messages from Team Quarles as we close out here, or do you think that that's not your path? My path is one that, that we, quite frankly, knew before we even got into the race, that, uh, that we're focused on nobody's race but my own, that we're going to run uh, a, a race that's focused on issues, one that, that puts myself out there as a candidate that people can choose among 12 <laughs> in this mm-hmm. race. And so, look – whoever the nominee is has to unite the party. And so it's okay to have a disagreement on policy. And, I, and I'm happy to do that in debates. I'm happy to, to say, look, this is one person's view. That's my someone else's view. But when it comes to personal attacks, I don't think that benefits uh, whoever the nominee is in terms of making sure that the party is as united as it has to be, because this will be a very highly contentious race in the fall. It could arguably already uh, be predicted as the biggest race in America this fall leading up to the 2024 presidential race. And so for me, the candidate you see before you today, the candidate you've known for, for the past uh, eight years as that commissioner is who you're going to see in these final weeks. Are you worried about the way this thing's unfolding? Uh, not with you, but uh, are you worried about party unity uh, when with this primary's finished up one way or another? I am to a certain extent. I, I just hope that that whatever happens on primary election night, that, that yeah, there's there's going to be a time where we need to cool down and come back together. But what I do know is that when I travel the state is that we need to unite. It needs to happen if we're going to have a shot at this because Governor Bashir, to his credit, has just about every advantage you could look for right now, whether it's money, whether it's uh, shaking down people who have contracts with the state for maxed out donations who I know are going to vote for me, but they had to donate, and they told that to me countless times. They feel this pressure that we need as a party, again, the nominate who has the best chance of winning the fall. It goes back to electability. All right, guys, you got anything? I got a, I got a few quick hits for Ryan before yeah, we go. Yeah. Uh, I got one finer. We got a listener question, a special listener question that I would like to ask you. Um, our friend Eric from Georgia yeah. uh, wants to know, he, said he, he likes you, he thinks you have a good record, but he wants you to defend both hiring and employing Sean Southard for an extended oh. period of time. <laughs> no, there's, there's always a blemish on uh, Sean <laughs> but, uh, You know, Sean did a phenomenal job at the Department of Ag, and I, I'm glad to see his, uh, his personal growth at, at mm-hmm. the party right now. And again, uh, after the primary, we, we need whoever the nominee is, when I'm the nominee – uh, we need to inherit an apparatus that's ready to go. But, uh, that, you know, who would have thought Sean would work at the Department of Agriculture? But, uh, but you know, he not, might... not me. <laughs> Having been his first boss, I could tell you, I never thought he'd get anywhere near an agriculture product. <laughs> he barely got it near any work here. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's fun to make fun of people who aren't here. Okay, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan you've been a great guest. We, had a, we, we do uh, sometimes we do a little uh, lightning round. What's your favorite movie? Oh. Probably the prestige. Anything Christopher Nolan. You know, Oppenheimer's coming out this summer. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right. You got a book on your nightstand right now? You're reading Sun Tzu: Art of War, <laughs> and I bought and I bought a copy for all my campaign staff. All right, very good. Favorite sport to watch live in person? Oh, I'm a UK college basketball fan. I, I grew up that way. All right. What's one thing about 
the Kentucky State Fair to you that stands out more than anything else? Something at the fair that you just look forward to every year? I love passing out ribbons to 4-H and FFA kids, whether they're first place or last place, because I was in their shoes once. And as a young kid that may not have the confidence, that to have someone shake your hand and say, I'm proud of you, goes a long way. I mean, what's the biggest vegetable? Oh, you, you want the non-Hallmark answer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I want a donut burger or something. Yeah, stop, stop, stop. Give me something like you once saw a vegetable in the shape of the Virgin Mary or something. Like, like, give me something like, give me something. Like, what's going on? I mean, I see these things. There's like 10,000 pounds. You gave me a pumpkin seed once that was supposed to turn into a huge pumpkin. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't grow it right. Uh, uh, well, a, I think I'll give poultry. you one. Poultry. I'm only poultry is my limits of my expertise. <laughs> we have a guy named Dwight Sloan from Floyd County, Kentucky, who is obsessed with giant, growing giant pumpkins. He brought a pumpkin to the state fair that weighed over 1,600 pounds. It was the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. That's a car. Yeah. And we have we have created what was uh, a lowly to the side exhibition of the annual giant. Uh, melon and pumpkin contest into a full-blown production. The only thing we're missing are, li- are lasers and, and fireworks <laughs> and pyrotechnics. This has become a, a well-watched uh, online sensation. I fought to keep it going during COVID, despite Andy Bashir's <laughs> lockdowns. We had a giant pumpkin contest, by God. <laughs> and, and I have it's, a, it's incredible to see this subculture yeah. <laughs> of giant pumpkin growers in Kentucky. It, it's become a fun thing. I give over... A hundred pumpkin seeds out a year to little kids across Kentucky and say, try your best. You know, grow one against the commissioner. Grow one against Scott oh. Jennings. I mean, obviously you're going to win. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yes, we tried. It it just didn't. I mean, I know it's my fault, and uh, I'm, I'm willing to admit my shortcomings. It's unfortunate. Ryan, you've been a great guest. You've been a great ag commissioner. Thank you. You're running a great campaign, and uh, we're just a little bit under a month away, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. And uh, this this concludes our interviews of the what we consider to be the top candidates for governor on the Republican side. So good luck to you. Good luck to the others. And thank you all out there for listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.